Hello, everyone, and welcome to Season 5 of Commitment Matters. We thought it was time to have a season that zooms back out away from some of the granular topics where we focused much of Season 4 to help you raise your head up from the day-to-day and begin to think about your business in some ways that maybe you haven't had the luxury of doing for a while. We're excited for the guests and subjects that are featured this season. We look forward to bringing you conversations with authors, industry peers, professional coaches, entrepreneurs, and business consultants. With things starting to slow down a little bit, you might find yourselves once again with the luxury of thinking beyond today and crafting the shape of your business and your career for tomorrow. Our great guests for season five were selected to help you do just that. Our first guest to kick off the new season today is Clark Fossler, who is team principal of M2 Analysis and Consulting. Clark spent the bulk of his career managing and owning title and settlement companies in the Midwest, as well as owning and operating companies that specialize in all other aspects of the broader real estate industry. He's a strategic growth expert and a successful builder of companies in this space. Recently, he started a consulting company to help others expand their footprint or transition their businesses in a way that aligns with their personal and professional goals. Together, Clark and I discuss how to take an unvarnished look at your company and goals and how to make a plan to achieve them. He mentions how to evaluate a prospective consultant to see if they might be a right and productive fit for your organization. We, of course, talk about managing the silver tsunami and crafting positive outcomes for existing staff and potential new hires. And also what to do if you think that you or someone in your organization might want to work a little less now that they're later in their career, or how to help transition your company's ownership to an earlier career worker who shows the desire and potential for that. As you reevaluate where your business is going, we're here to help by asking the relevant questions, bringing you the right tools and the right people who can help. So please enjoy this season opener conversation with Clark Fossler. Clark Fossler, welcome to Commitment Matters. Thanks for having me on. Well, we're so glad you're here today. For folks that are listening that don't yet know you, you are a title guy in your DNA, right? Give us a little bit of your background, your history. Well, my background uh, started in the title business. I was 20 years old, back before there was email, fax machines, any of that cool stuff. And so I wanted a job in college that I could drive my car around and not be in the office. So I was a delivery man for a title company. I handed commitments to the receptionists and the closing secretaries and went about my day. And from there, I just continued to progress through the business as I worked for basically one company that split. And I went with one branch of that company. And then that company got bigger and was purchased by Title Midwest, where I eventually ended up running one of the title branches in Omaha. I moved on to a different course of business for a while. But once we started that, We couldn't quite get away from the title insurance business. And a couple of years after we left that, we began to start another title company in Lincoln that currently is growing to probably the largest company in Lincoln in the last 15 years. That's Charter Title. Well, and a lot of the things that you've done have been ancillary to the title business or at least real estate related. So tell people about what some of those other ventures that you have are. One of our big ventures was we began to invest in delinquent real estate taxes throughout the country, an area we discovered in the title business. You know, we prepare a title payment and there would be back taxes due on a property. There'd be this tax certificate. And we kind of started wondering what the heck those were. And once we got into that, it's basically where we are as an investor. 
paying the taxes that a delinquent taxpayer hasn't paid. So a county or city government can fund the schools, fund the fire, fund the police, all that good stuff, keep their street budget up. In return, we get an interest rate higher than we can borrow money at. And from there, we just basically play a yield spread on those delinquent real estate taxes. I mean, at some point, 99% of the people pay, we get our interest, they get their taxes paid in full and everyone goes about their business. And as part of that, then we got pretty deep into commercial real estate development in Lincoln, Omaha, Florida. Those were a lot of the ancillary stuff I did back then. And some real estate management? Yes. With commercial real estate development and with investing in delinquent real estate taxes, you end up with property that you have to manage. And particularly, we ended up with uh, several large properties that we then developed down in Florida in the process of being developed right now, as well as in Arizona, plus the normal commercial real estate management, dealing with tenants, all those items, everything that keeps the world moving on the real estate side. Yeah. Well, and then so you decided to start doing business consulting. What drove you to A, want to do that and B, realize now is the time that businesses need that? What, what's the genesis there? Well, I got into it a little bit by accident in that our main operating company for the last 15, 18 years was myself and three other partners. I wanted to branch out and do something different. And it seemed to be the time, you know, as we had younger people from some of the families in the partnership moving into leadership positions, the time for me to leave. Throughout the various positions in the title and closing industry and in the real estate investment industry and in the tax debt business and property management, the one thing I had had a common thread through all that was whenever I was in a situation, I was looking for a way to make the process better, to make the the operation more efficient, or how do we grow an operation, or how do we maintain that operation once we've reached the growth stage we want to we want to be at. Well, so we mentioned that your experience kind of span, and I'm going to focus on title and settlement primarily. Well, I mean, we do have listeners that are participants and owners of other companies, but primarily, you know, our our world is going to be title settlement, also realtors and lenders and attorneys. But we we mentioned that you have experience in sort of that smaller independent agent, and then you went through an acquisition, and then you were part of a larger corporate culture, and then you did a startup. And so while everybody, whether it's due to their size or their geography, likes to think that they are a special unicorn, I'm going to guess that you have seen some common issues, some through lines between those different types of organizations that you've spotted. And I wonder if you talk a little bit about what some of those things are. Definitely. When we were at Title Midwest and they were in the, in a growth mode and they essentially had 13 independent title companies in six states and all of them thought that they knew how to do title insurance and closings better than anybody else. And All of them thought they were, as you said, they're a unicorn. No one does what we do. And what what we found out at Title Midwest, especially when we were working with the technology committee and where we were selecting software and trying to get common processes for all these companies, is that everybody is a little bit of a unicorn. I mean, no two companies operate the same. No two companies in, in even one market doing the exact same thing will do everything exactly right, nor should they. But there is a common thread in that if you're producing a title commitment, there's an efficient way to do it. And if you have multiple locations, there's a more efficient way to do it than have 
someone researching at each location, someone typing at each location, someone underwriting at each location. I'm a firm believer in having a hub and having a basic process framework for title insurance commitment production, especially in policies, where this is what makes sense how you move through it. Now, if you've got a courthouse that you have to physically go to still to do your final research, yeah, you've got to branch off of that process. If you've got a person that can just take a start to finish and that's what they do, sometimes you've got to let that person do it. But maybe the most common thread I saw in all these companies is there are that core group of people that if you put them in the right spot, will drive the production, will drive the business. On the closing side, that's a closer that goes out and gets the business, but also is able to service it. And there's the people that are kind of along for the ride. And then there's a section of people that maybe they're not in the right spot. Maybe they're not in the right business. And, you know, that's a common thread throughout all businesses, I think. But, but identifying those people and nurturing the people that may be kind of a junior position, but have the potential to really be a driver, I think was the was maybe the most common thread I saw in every single company and branch we went to. Well, yeah. I want to talk about sort of current conditions on the ground for title and settlement agents because it's fairly unique, not unprecedented, but it's fairly unique where we're at in this cycle. And I think a lot of people are out there living in a situation where, again, they've been going at a sprint pace for a marathon period of time. And so I think a lot of efficiencies that they might have had at one point may have fallen away. They're also simultaneously afraid to ask, air quotes here, anything more of their staff right now because their staff are beleaguered and fatigued from running 90 to nothing for the past two, two and a half years. But they know they need to change. They know that, you know, the revenues are starting to trend down. Some whole lines of business are really trending down. So they know they need to do differently, but they're not sure sort of what the capacity within the organization, what the tolerance would be for that right now. And they might not know where to start to focus to systematically look through their operations. So what kinds of recommendations do you have in, in that regard? Well, that's always the difficult thing. You're busy and you're tired and your people that you really lean on would just soon get something done than teach someone else how to do it that will in the long term help them out. And that's a real battle to fight. And I've, I've been there. I understand it. Back in the day, I could underwrite these eight commitments in an hour. If I have to show somebody, I'm going to get two of them done. And a lot of times what has happened is as you're growing, as you're going as hard as you can, all of a sudden you find you have this big cumbersome system and all of a sudden you've got 70% of your business just by the nature of, of what's gone on in society or whatever. How do I pare that down and make this now work? Because what happens is that 70% of the business almost to a company is still going to be done by your core group of people. So that gets back to, do I have the right people in the right spots? You get into some hard decisions, and it may not necessarily mean that the first thing you do is drop three people, the last three people on or whatever. It may just mean, let's redeploy these people into marketing, into a different line that you can generate more revenue from. Or maybe it's just a matter of finding some shifting the responsibilities around to give some people a break that need it. But it's very hard because nobody likes change. You're going to have to push it a little bit, and it's going to be some uncomfortable discussions, and it's going to be more than one. You and I in our careers have run across any number of people who are tremendous employees, 
and who will do whatever you tell them and will do above and beyond day after day after day. But when you tell them to change the process and tell this person how to do it, you got to tell them over and over because they don't want to. They'd rather just get stuff done. And so having a high level view, taking a step back and saying, yeah, this is how we've always done it. And this person is who I can always rely on. But still having that conversation with maybe some of your best employees saying, hey, here's what we really need to do to get better in the future. And you're not going to like it for a while. And it's going to be different. And that's really the biggest battle to fight in, in any of those scenarios. Yeah, I've, I've heard that scenario described as everyone likes the idea of change and absolutely no one wants to be changed, to get changed. And I think a lot of it, too, there's a factor of when everybody's so fatigued like this and the, and the owners and managers are so afraid of throwing something at someone that's going to be the last straw and, and out the door they go in tears. I'm guessing it's probably, it can be easier when it is an outside person, not embedded in the organization who can look a little bit more objectively and sort of coach that owner or manager through. I'm guessing you do a, a dialogue to some quizzing, but I'd love to hear about your process. Kind of coach them through making those changes instead of just, you know, a lot of people also try to make 40 changes in a 30-day period. And I'm guessing they just need some help finding the balance and, and having the prescription. That is that part of your process? That's a huge part of it. I think there are some business consulting systems, if you will, that companies use where they go in and it's kind of a cookie cutter just about, tell us this part of the pie chart, tell us this, here's your flow chart, this is what you need to do. And here's the pyramid we're going to use and here's your, here's your flow chart and there's a, B, and four C's, and eight D's. Conjoined and triangles of success, yeah. Exactly. Probably there are places where that works great for. Most offices, businesses, especially small to medium, I don't think that's fit. What I like to do is go in and sit down with first the owners, and then the managers, their key people under that, and say, okay, I don't care how you do stuff. I don't know right from wrong, because I don't. What are you doing what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Which is always hard for someone to define, but what works, what doesn't in your mind? They're all going to have different answers. If they all have the same answer, then the job gets really easy. But go in and have that conversation one, two, maybe even three levels deep, depending on the size of the organization and say, you know, what is it that you're struggling with? What doesn't work? And get some honest answers and then Translate that into where do you want to be from here personally as a business? What are your long-term goals, your short-term goals? What are you just trying to get through tomorrow so you can get home at 8 o'clock at night instead of 10 o'clock at night? It's a lot of listening. It's a lot of thinking. And it's a lot of going in with not preconceived notions. And, you know, very often it's a matter of just organizing everyone's thoughts, organizing everyone's project map, their workflow, just Getting it on paper so they can look at it and say, huh, that's kind of crazy. Or here's something we're doing with our left hand and we're also doing it with our right hand. And we can probably do it all with just the one hand and have another free hand to do something else. So that's a lot of what I do, what I perceive my my job is. Because like I said, I don't, I don't know how to build a house and I'm never going to figure out how to build a house. And it's not important for me to know how to make a nice square corner in a wall. It's important for me to know how can we get the supplies there quicker? How can we get 
keep people on the job quicker or longer? How do we prioritize where we go, what work group goes, which place? And so it's a lot of that is what I see as the ability to help people. And really from a high altitude perspective, because if you're in, in the weeds and that's, that's an owner, most owners are deep down in it. They're not sitting back looking, looking at the month end financials very often. They're in doing the work and you can't see the forest through the trees to use an old man saying. So just someone else coming and looking at it and just asking questions, not necessarily this is right, this is wrong. Just why do you do it this way? Oh, that's my favorite consultant's question. Why do you do it this way? And sometimes you get the longest, most interesting answers. So when you put together that project plan, then do you leave that with them for execution? Do you walk through execution with it? Is it their choice? How do you handle that phase of it? Well, that varies on what the company is looking for and what their size is. And as they add different pieces into what they'd like uh, us to you know, advise them on and oversee, it's a little different situation. Well, one of the things that I was thinking about as I was getting ready for our conversation today was in title and settlement, so I have to bring this up, we have this real issue with the silver tsunami Many of our owners and even some of their line managers are kind of in that stage. And I think the pandemic sort of fast forwarded them a little bit of, boy, we're just really tired. And at the same time, we're seeing a lot of money flowing around in the marketplace. And we're seeing, I think, the front end of a trend of an owner who maybe thought they were on another five or 10 year retirement plan, just being ready to say, hey, I'm done, I'm out of here, and underwriters are doing some acquisitions in that area. So I'm wondering if you see an opportunity with the business consultancy, maybe helping them stay engaged a little bit longer, but not sweating everything at 3 a.m. Do you see something to sort of extend that life and make it pleasurable for them again, or help them negotiate a merger, or help them find their their next owner that'll maybe that works for them now that'll buy on contract. I guess I'm just looking at sort of a potential longer engagement scenario for some of these people that I wonder if a business consultant like you could help. I think definitely that's something we can help people with. But what I see is, you know, when I talk about it being an old guy, I'm, I'm in my late 50s, the decade of older than me are people that really still are not necessarily really technologically up to speed. They're all getting emails and texting now, but they don't trust it. They don't understand how much they can access. Say they got a second home in Arizona, they can access their business, oversee it, and trust that they will still be in touch, but also maybe don't have to work quite as hard. They don't have to be in at eight to check on this because you can wake up at 9.30, have coffee and check on it while you have coffee and pet your dog. That's a very simplistic thing. But just having that breathing room makes it more tolerable. For a person that's that's thinking about retirement, that's worn down by the game, isn't sure where to go, but it's got to hang on a while, there's a start. Lessen your hours. Even if you're sitting at home and working, it's more comfortable sitting at home. Go in for four or five hours in the middle of the day. Go in when they need you for a meeting. And then you've got to then find within your organization, and I firmly believe this, even if you do have a ready-made seller somewhere from the outside, someone new coming in, you've got to identify 
two or three operational managers that you trust that you could be out of touch for two weeks and they're still going to have the company humming along when you get back. If you can trust those people and give them the power, you can then still collect the, the rewards of being the owner, still be the guy in charge when there's tough, tough decisions to make. But when it's your normal, just kind of hard decisions, these people make them for you. Do you have those people and will you empower them? Because the biggest problem you can see in a title company where you've got the, the man or woman who's been there for 20 years, it's her company, it's his company, they're in charge. Okay, they say, well, I'm going to pull back a little bit and Vince over here is going to be my title manager and Nancy over here is going to be my closing manager and they're in charge. And the first time they do something somebody under doesn't like, they come back to the owner and they change it. And they think they're doing their job. They don't understand. Now they've undercut the person they want to charge and they're back to square one. Internally, those are the things a person can do to extend their time with the company and not burn out and not just get ground to a nub. Now, as far as finding people in the marketplace, that's an interesting proposition and that there probably is tremendous opportunity to go do that as long as the people you find understand the title insurance and closing business isn't as easy as it looks. No, sadly, it's not. We just make it look easy. But truthfully, that's part of it. When you buy a title company or a closing company, the key thing to remember is the person that was running it, in the end, a whole bunch of their clients were their friends. And they were going there because of that man or woman that was at the top. Or they're going there for the foreclosures they have that they like, or guy on the title side they play golf with every day or whatever. It's still a friendship business. And one of my partners had a, has a great quote and he goes, well, when I was 35 and we had a title company, I couldn't get very big because the old guy running the big title company, everybody's boss was a friend of his. He goes, well, by the time we're in our 50s, now they're all our friends. <laughs> the old so, guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's colloquial, but it's true in that title insurance in the end, some companies are better than others, but the product is really the same. You don't have a differentiated product. You can be better at it. You have to remember it is a people-oriented business and it's a connections business. And if you have an outside buyer or if you are an outside buyer, you've got to really go in with your eyes open and identify not only what businesses a company have, but how is it getting that business? And if they say it's because of our great service, well, that's a lie. Or not a lie, but that's, that's harsh. I should be nicer. It's a fallacy because somebody else is going to be close enough to the business. And if the person giving it likes that person better, they're going to get it. In the silver tsunami scenario, we have a lot of owners that are trying to figure out their exit plan. I was talking with with one about three weeks ago, and, and he said, I'm ready to be done. COVID, all this nonsense did accelerate my timeline. I hate to sell my company. I really don't really want to put it out on the market for a lot of those reasons you just said. And he said, I have this star closing manager who I know should own her own title company. I would sell her this one on contract. I know she has the relationships in the marketplace, all of that, but she's young and she's nervous. She's scared to do it. And he's going, I can't teach her as much as I would like and still parachute out and get to some 
living at the same time. So I wonder if if that's something that you could help with, like where you come in and, and mentor that employee who's a prospective buyer on contract and teach them how to run the business when they know the nuts and bolts of doing title or doing settlement. Definitely. That's not an uncommon scenario, not only in trying to ascertain who's going to take a company over, but even people moving through the ranks of a company. A younger person is going to say, well, I'm really good at what I do, but what if I do something wrong if I get this promotion and don't do it right? What if it's hard? You know, what I have now I've gotten really good at, and it's it's a lot of work, but it's easy. I know what I'm doing. And giving them the confidence and the backing to take that next step up. And when you're talking about going from a closing manager all the way up to this is my company and now I'm on the line, that's nerve wracking. It's, it, there's something comforting about, you know, getting your paycheck and going home and that paycheck's going to look the same the next week. And you go home and you don't have to worry about filing the state employment tax quarterly. You don't have to worry about what happens if our lease comes up. That's somebody else's job. And, th- and those are those are things that, a, that a, especially an inexperienced person, really struggles with because they don't know how to do it. It seems like a lot of things to do, even payroll. I'm in charge of payroll. What do I have to do? And in my career, we've had a ton of long-term employees that started with us when they were out of high school, out of college, and started entry level somewhere along there and have moved their way up to a you know, managed position. In fact, when I left Charter Title, the managers were people that had worked for us for in various entities essentially the last 20 or 30 years. Some of them started when they were 18 years old, you know, haven't had another job, frankly. And getting those people each step of the way to take the next step and helping them have the confidence to do it, the backing, the skill set, whatever extra training and help they might need, not just throwing them to the wolves and saying, do it, it's yours now. That's something I have done personally a lot in business and seen done a lot in business, a skill set I think I have to mentor somebody like that and bring them along. And also to recognize when that person has gone as far as they're going to go. Right. That's the other side of that equation. They might top out before either of you want them to. Exactly. Some of the very best employees that I have worked with or have worked for me or I've seen in other offices, they hit position X and that's where they're going to stay often because that's where they want to stay. And you cannot just shove them forward. It's you want to. I've tried to. It doesn't work. I've learned long enough ago. And, you know, I'm talking in a few instances. Some of these people are, are a couple of my very best friends, long term friends. And five, 10 years ago, I was like, you got to do this. This is where you want to go. And they won't take that step. They can't take that step. And it, it's just not fair to even ask them to try and make that leap. And so they're in a, they're in a good spot but they're not going to go anywhere else. What about the reverse situation, which I've seen a lot so much, so I'm almost a religious zealot about it. Uh, You have a really good individual contributor, an awesome producer, whether they're the machine title person that just boom, boom, knocks out, does your complicated stuff and and does it almost 100% error-free or your, you know, your master closer just, and those people tend to want to move up, but being an individual, an awesome individual contributor is not always corollary to good skills as a manager. You see a lot of that. And, and is that something you can help people with? Oh, I see it all the time. I mean, some of the very best employees are some of the very worst managers. That's just a, a fact. 
Is that something you feel like can be taught if somebody has enough time and attention to it? Or is it more of just a screening them and having honest conversations with them about the value of being an awesome producer? How do you handle that? It depends on the personality, I think. I think generally there are some people that are just not built to oversee large groups of people, to manage operations. They're just built to do. I hate to pick on real estate closers, but I'll pick on real estate closers. Their personality, a lot of that area of our business is built on, I'm going to go get this business. I'm going to go service this business. I'm going to be really good at it. People are going to love me. They're intensely driven and competitive and turning off that competition when the person isn't across town, but is across the hall from you is hard for them to do. And I don't think their mindset, the mindset that makes a really great closer in some occasions, isn't the mindset that makes a good manager. I don't mean to pigeonhole, but that's a very common trait. And when you see it, how badly does that person want to manage and why? Do they want to manage because they can make the company better? Can they make themselves better? Or do they want to manage because they want the title and they don't want somebody well, else to manage A lot of times them? it's just the next thing. These are these are very competitive people and they take their career seriously. And they a lot of times they think, and unfortunately too many times it's true, if I want to be really valued here, either it be monetarily or otherwise, the next thing for me to do is go into management and Almost never does someone sit them down and ask those kinds of questions. Why do you want to be into management? What are your strengths? What are you going to bring to it? What's going to be your management philosophy of this? And I think some mentoring there can be beneficial. I think, yeah, eventually you can get down to, yes, you do have the, for lack of a better word, temperament to be groomed into being a good manager. But but let's really understand the motivation. And if it's because I want to make another $10,000 a year, well, maybe as an owner operations manager, you may think, well, we might be able to make that happen without you giving this management thing a try if you really come to believe that they're just not cut out for it. There's some probably some risks there. But again, I ask you all this because I know you've handled so many of these scenarios in your in your history. It really does come down to, is that person being rewarded financially? And let's not kid ourselves. Nobody's in a business just because it's the funnest thing to do every day. We're all in it to make a living. We're all in it to make money. And the great thing about making money is the next year you want to make more money. So that's a motivation. There's a group of people that I would call chasing a title. They want that on their business card. And the great thing about titles is if all they really want is a title, everybody can have a title on their business card if that makes them feel better. The question is, do you really put them in a position to manage and can they excel there? And really, do they really want that job to have that job and those responsibilities, or do they want that job just because they think, well, like you said, that's the next step. I got to do something. And maybe you take that great individual employee and sit them down and say, hey, I don't think you're going to like it. You might not be good at it, but you're great at this. Here's some benefits. Here's more time off. You can compensate them and make them feel valued, safe in their position, safe, safe in their future without necessarily giving them a title, forcing them into a title that in a position that they they may not only hurt themselves, but hurt the company as a whole. I've seen that so many times. I'm sure you have too. It all gets back to people. Every person's different. You can't just make them do what they want to do. And you can't just always assume they can do something just because they want to. And you've got to, you've got to talk to them. Being open and honest about it. And it's hard sometimes to sit down with someone you've known a long time, worked with, worked for you, worked side by side and say, hey, you know, 
I'm not sure this is, this is great for you. And here's why. And tell them that when it'd be a lot easier to say, you know, you're a great employee. You're doing great. I think you can do anything. That's a five-minute conversation and you're off on your day and everybody's happy for a while. Long-term, though, everyone's going to get crossways with each other. Your happy employee is now going to be unhappy and an unhappy employee is not going to be motivated. And what she was great at or he was great at, suddenly now they're not great at anymore because they're not happy. And they're, and they're bogged down in a management position per se, or an ownership position, and it's eating them alive and everything goes down the tubes with them. So you want to avoid that situation. And, and then that's a really, really hard conversation then that no one wants to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure we have a lot of people listening who have not engaged with a business consultant before. And, and so I'd like for you to talk through a little bit of the kind of the criteria they might ask themselves, or if you're having these kinds of questions, it might be something to explore. So I'd like to, for you to cover that. And I'd also like to talk about what sort of ROI should they look for and expect? How do, you, how do they measure a successful engagement with a business consultant? Well, to the first point, um, if you're an existing business, really of any size, but a mid-sized company, somewhat small to decent mid-sized company, are you stuck? I've got this group of people and we were growing big and now we're just flatlining or declining. Or we're still growing, but the bottom line hasn't grown. That happens a lot. I'm stuck here and I don't know what to do. I can't find another scapegoat. I can't find some glaring weakness in organization. I don't know what's happening. And I just want to talk to somebody that doesn't have any relationship here. Because if you're in a business like that, the managers and the owners, whether they like it or not, their friends and basically their family are working for them. If they didn't start out as friends and family when they were hired, they quickly became friends or family along the way. That's our business. Exactly. And it's human nature. I'm sitting by this person 40 hours a week. Yeah, I can either love them or hate them, but that's going to be one of them. And so you're in that position and you just can't figure out why things aren't working like they used to. That's the kind of position that I would say, then let's go have a meeting with a consultant. Just to talk, you know, and, you know, my process, and I don't think it's unique in our business. You call me, contact me and say, Hey, here's where I'm at. I mean, I'll come in and sit down with you for hour, two hours, whatever we need. And that's not going to cost you anything. I mean, there's no retainer up front. Is there something I can do? Does it look like you have a real problem? Let's get to know each other. That sounds a little, little odd, but let's get to know each other a little bit and decide if it even makes sense. And then I would come back with a, an idea, a proposal of how we'd proceed next and work out fees from there and plan from there. The other person I would think I could generally give a lot of advice to is a startup. You're thinking about starting a business or you've just started. And particularly in this case, you started a business, let's say a year ago. It took off. You're tremendous. You're in total growth mode and all of a sudden, this me and my best friend started this business. It was going to be a lot of fun. Well, now we got eight employees and more business that we can deal with. And there's all these papers and there's all these numbers and there's all these people. And what are we going to do? <laughs> we're in growth mode and we don't know how to handle it. And if we can't figure it out soon enough, we're not going to be in growth mode anymore. And so there's a place where you know a person like myself might step in and say, okay, 
where's your growth at? How do we handle that? How do we manage that? How do we refine your processes, expand your processes so you can service the business? Whatever industry you're in, getting the business is hard, but if you get it and then can't perform, getting it the second time is almost impossible. And you want to avoid losing it just because you got overwhelmed, which happens to a lot of startup businesses. That's where I think my skill set would really come in as far as in so much as even looking at the people you have and even sitting in on helping you if you're expanding your personnel base. I don't need to interview people, but I can certainly sit in and help evaluate, be another head in the room. Those are a couple of scenarios where I think a business consultant can really help. And then you get into larger scenarios where you ended up, for lack of a better term, with a consortium of companies and people and partners, and they're all over eight different directions. And we know we're doing pretty good, but we really don't know what each side's doing. And that's a little bit of a situation I'm working on now. And it's fascinating, you know, how successful people can be and sit down at a conference table and say, so what are you working on right now? And it's one of their partners. And so getting some cohesiveness, some organization, getting a central hub that everything can spoke off of and having the right hand know what the left hand is doing is another thing a consultant can do. Just simply gathering everything in one spot and saying, here you are. This is what you look like. What do you want to change and what do you want to keep? And going from there. And we have some owners out there, too, who are coming off of the pandemic high or low, depending on how you want to look at it, but the pandemic churn and saying, okay, we've maybe had one county or three counties. We've got some money in the bank right now, and I want to hit the gas. I want to take my small one-county title company and turn it into a regional player or multi-state player. That's something you certainly have experience with, right? And can help in that regard too? Yes. I think we've done that three different times in the last 30 years. So one of the key things we could offer there is a, how much do I need in the next county over to be a presence without dropping in 10 people? And having this massive startup cost. Oh, so like how do you incubate out of your current location to the next place? Ah, I get it. Okay. Can you get by with having, you know, your face, your closer slash marketer in next county over, but your back room and your production still at the main hub? And what's that market really like? Markets always look good, but what's the nuances of that market? Way back when in Nebraska, we're talking in the 80s and early 90s. The third largest city in the state basically had one title company. And for 20 years, people from Lincoln, Omaha, around other places would look at this city and try and figure out, okay, why can't we get into that market? Well, they just had a guy that everybody used. And again, everybody knew him. Everybody had always used him. And you ain't coming in here. You just kind of had to wait that market out. Not every market can be approached. We've seen some of those markets, by the way, where there was one horse in town and we thought, oh, we're going to go into that market and liberate the realtors and attorneys and lenders and give them a choice. And we we went in brick and mortar, right? We went in whole hog and the market said, no, thanks. We don't need a choice. Yeah. We already have a guy. You <laughs> we <know>? got a guy. <laughs> we have a guy. <laughs> Knowing that up front, spending $2,500 to figure that out, will save you thousands and thousands and thousands every month of just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And there may be a way to go in, and that market eventually decided that choice was a good thing. They eventually got there. But had we known to approach it a little bit differently up front, 
we could have had much lower landing costs and ramped up instead of throwing a party and nobody came. Exactly. And on the flip side, I can tell you this, and one expansion we did that turned out to be really, really successful was the exact opposite. You had to go in there and you had to have brick and mortar and you had to have high powered employees and you had to be ready to go day one with some of the best you could put in the market. Otherwise you were just going to disappear. And so, you know, a larger market, sometimes you got to go in and you've got to bite the bullet and say, yeah, this is going to work and shell the money out. And we're talking, you know, when we did that market, probably two of the three highest employees in the entire organization were new employees at this new title company in a good location with a high lease amount because you had to be in a certain spot. And it worked out, but that's the other side of the coin. You'd like to go in small and build up, but sometimes you just got to go in big, but you got to know what you're doing. You have to know that that's what the market's going to expect and demand. And if that's the case and you think you make it work, then you do it that way. But you have to be smart about what sort of market you're going into, what's the accessibility, and what do you need there so people will notice you. And having time to research that or someone who has the time to research that for you could be of real value. Exactly. And, and you know, a good business consultant could be that person that could go in and research that for you while you do your normal business. That's great. Well, Clark, thank you so much for the wonderful ideas. I know we have people who are sitting in, we have a lot of people who are sitting in sort of a transition. They know they're at a transition point in their business. They're just not 100% sure which way they want to go. Part of it, they're just thinking from fatigue. Part of it, they've gotten a, you know, as kind of we all did during COVID, gotten a new work-life balance outlook, but they don't know whether they can keep it. And, and I think they're really just trying to figure out what's next and probably need someone to stand right next to them and help them really effectively evaluate their circumstances and help them make some of those right choices and get them implemented. So I know that there will be people that will find value from this conversation and by talking with you. So any last words of wisdom you might have for us? Well, I would just say to folks out there that if you're just in a position where you just want to bounce something off somebody, that's really the start of a relationship with a business consultant in that I just don't know. Tell me this is stupid. Tell me this is smart. Tell me I'm dumb. Things like that. And I think you've known me long enough. I'll tell you what I think. And it's somebody, not your friend, somebody's going to give you an honest answer. And, you know, if that makes a person mad and you never call me again, somehow I'll get by and you'll get by. They need unvarnished business advice, right? Because if you put a nice little veneer, a comfy feeling veneer on the top, then it's less likely to be successful. Exactly. Yeah, I'm not there to tell you you're great, unless you are. And maybe you are. But... I'm just there to be the guy to talk to. You want to go out to the bar and, and have a beer and say, here's what's happening with my business. Can you help me? I'll tell you yes or no. Just having conversations sometimes unlocks what you might need to push your business that next step forward. That's awesome. Well, thanks for the help. I know we have people that need it. And so we're looking forward to you being a solution for them. Well, I appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Clark, for helping us begin to understand some of the benefits that can be achieved with the help of a business consultant. If you'd like to reach out to Clark with questions, producer Kat has linked his contact information in the show notes that accompany this episode. Until next time, keep thinking about where you want to go and what kind of condition you want to be in when you arrive there. Once you have a clear vision of what you want that to look like, write down the steps of execution. They might not lead exactly where you want them to, but you're much more likely to get from point A to point B with a plan 
than you are with that one. And always remember, even on just a regular old Tuesday, what you do is worth doing because what you do really matters. <laughs>